0: if you think about uh, photography 10 years ago we all had these point and shoot cameras if you remember those things you take pictures and then if I want to send you some pictures I take the SD card out I load it onto my laptop and then I download the files I zip them then I email them to you and then you actually download them see it and then say hey Girish cool pics right today If you look at it, you you flip out your iPhone and uh, take a picture and then share it on uh, uh, Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever, and then I give you a thumbs up. So the same thing is happening in the business world also. That's the approach we took to CRM. We asked ourselves, hey, why do we need to get five or six different tools and bundle it together so that I can have everything integrated in one package, which helps my salesperson with all the context about the lead that they need and to be able to sell more effectively. From ProfitWell Recur, it's
1: Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Ben Hillman. And on today's show, how Freshworks' founder used a multi-product strategy that took on some of the most competitive spaces in the world to build a $1.5 billion unicorn out of Chennai,
2: India. Also, just a quick note. If you share this episode on Twitter with the hashtag ProtectIt, we'll hook you up with some nice ProfitWell swag.
1: We live in a world where building software and technology is no longer the
2: difficult part
1: of building a business.
2: You're you're absolutely correct. I know this sounds controversial to a lot of our audience, but it's completely true. You know, we no longer have server racks, complicated dev processes, or these huge technological barriers to keeping our products up and running. Exactly. You know, AWS, DevOps tools, GitHub, all this infrastructure
1: has made it so that if everyone listening wanted to spin up a product, a website, start driving traffic, we could all do that within within the course of really an afternoon. And the problem now becomes building and scaling the right product and then, of course, distribution.
2: Right, especially since the breakdown of these technological barriers, it's, it's caused this huge explosion of products out there, which is causing our customers to just be hammered and not in a good way with different <laughs> options. No, exactly. That's true. It's true. But furthermore, the, the educational barriers they're just also breaking down as well. It's no longer a group of Silicon Valley elite who have all the secrets on how to build a business. It doesn't matter what school you go to, where you come from. You know, We're now in a world where you can become successful anywhere with any background. That's right. And
1: that's why I'm so excited about our guest today, Garish, the founder and CEO of Freshworks, who went straight at one of the most competitive markets in the world, the help desk market. And then he chose to take on all of the other most competitive markets in the world with his second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth Freshworks
2: product. Ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th are all, all coming, coming down, down the road. road. And, yeah, and you yeah. know, you and I can both agree that's a lot of products that they've built. All of them in only eight years' time, while recently crossing the $100 million revenue mark at a $1.5 billion valuation. Unicorn status there. Unicorn status. They have six offices across the world, but they started out in the southern part of India in a little city called Chennai.
1: Yeah. And you and I had a chance to actually go to Chennai last year and visit our friends at Chargebee as well as friends at Freshworks. Right. And And you discover it's not small at all. (laughs) It's not small at all. It's a very, very large city and, and, and love Chennai a lot. And Before we get deep into why multiple products in your portfolio is the actual future, let's first learn a little bit more about Garish specifically, including how the idea of Freshdesk, which was Freshworks' first product, came out of Garish being in a position we've all probably been in, wanting to complain about a company's terrible support. And pay careful attention to Garish's view on why a competitive market is actually a huge advantage.
0: the original idea to start fresh desk started as a fresh help desk in 2009 i was working at austin texas and then uh, moving back to chennai from austin so at that point of time i actually uh, was shipping all my stuff back from the U.S. to India. It so happens that uh, the shipping company that shipped my stuff broke my TV. 40-inch Samsung LCD TV. It's not cheap. And (laughs) and so I had bought insurance from the shipping company. So I thought it should be relatively uh, straightforward to contact the customer support of the company and get my insurance claim. Several phone calls and emails later, the company wouldn't even tell me which insurance company underwrote the insurance. I actually got pretty frustrated because I spent five and a half months in the process and uh, I just decided that I don't care about the money anymore. I just wanted revenge and justice. Yeah. So I actually uh, went online to a forum called R2I Club Forum, which is Return to India Club Forum. So this is where Indians who are moving back from the US actually go to get recommendations on shipping companies, etc. That, that's and, and a lot of other things in India. But uh, that's where I got the recommendation for this particular company. I thought I will hurt their lead gen. So I actually went and shared my entire story with the pictures of my broken TV and and what uh, the experience that I was going through. And the community started engaging. And uh, the next day, the president of the company came and apologized. And the next day, money was in my bank. Before starting Freshdesk, I had built four help desks. So I know the customer support space. And I also know that customer support, a multi-channel customer support solution means customer tries to contact you via phone or email or website or chat. And all of these channels were traditional channels the company has so much power over the customer you just hope that as a customer you just hope that the company will do the right thing now what I experienced in my life with this uh, shipping company was for the first time the balance of power seemed to have shifted from the company to the individual where when I was able to take on this company on an online channel because it was impacting their brand the company was forced to do the right thing that's where the idea to build a fresh help desk came so that's why we called it fresh desk so oh, cool. which which not only will do the uh, traditional channels of customer support which is phone email website and chat but also the newer channels like those days it was twitter and facebook
1: help desks not a not a market that's a brand new, right? Like right. a lot of competitors, like you mentioned, you had built multiple ones before. Were you looking at the market and just thinking, oh, I could just do this so much better? Like, was that the idea? Or was it more like, I have some other competitive advantage that makes me want to like
0: build this? So, so like I we, think uh, it's a combination of uh, two or three things, right? Chennai is not Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So we don't have, uh, in 2010, there was definitely no access to capital or VC in terms of, we didn't know that we would be VC funded. So one of the first reasons why we chose to build a help desk product is that's something that we knew and we knew that we could charge customers from day one and if you look at the help desk market globally there were like uh, even 600 help desks uh, before we started fresh desk so there is in fact a website called helpdesks.com where you can go and search all these help desks right yeah. so it's it's like almost like a cottage industry where you can build a small product and try to get enough customers and survive so our plan was worst case we will we'll go small we'll be able to make some money and and let's say make uh, half a million dollars uh, of revenue and and slowly then use that to build and and grow right and yeah. build something else later on maybe that's what that was the original thought we never thought we'd be VC fundable right we, who will fund a help desk right when when we've all seeing all the uh, in 2010 the fancy stuff was like Twitter and Instagram and, uh, and all these new consumer cool things coming up so that was how we started but. Apparently, the one tailwind that we caught very nicely, uh, even though we were a couple of years late, was the SaaS adoption. So so that was the uh, new thing that was changing. So even though it is a a very old market, it's an established market, customer support. But a lot of uh, companies, the smaller companies that are coming up, the startups that are coming up, We all wanted a SaaS-based solution and not an on-premise solution. That gave us the opportunity, along with the social differentiation in features that we had, we could actually do uh, social channels and the traditional channels of support. So I think this gave us the initial uh, differentiation to be able to address global markets from Chennai. And and, uh, we also picked the global market because we knew that it has to be a commodity market with enough search volume. Because sitting in Chennai, if I have to sell to the world, I have to, in the initial days, we have to rely on inbound search volumes. So people have to be searching for customer support, help desk and so on, which uh, we can ride on the traffic and uh, let the product do its magic in terms of uh, the free trial and so on. Once people liked it, they can buy online. So that was uh, all in hindsight, I could say everything was aligned perfectly with the business model.
2: You know, Grish's story seems extremely natural. All you have to do is just start with what you know in a world where you know, and you can build enough revenue to survive.
1: Yeah, and Grish knows this space really well. I mean, before starting Freshworks, he actually led product over at Zoho, uh, as well as a number of other companies in, in kind of tangential, if not similar spaces. And to me the most interesting thing based on his background here is is really the power of the competitive market particularly because he knew he could survive. This may be limiting innovation though, right? I think you're right because if you start in a market that you really really know then all of a sudden what's going to happen is is that you you might fall into those best practices and in kind of the same the same thing that you always do. I think if you take this model, you're not necessarily going to build nuclear fusion reactors, but I think there's actually a lot of innovation. Even in approaching a space like the help desk market, you know, think of just how terrible a lot of the help desks are or just software in general. I mean, it's kind of like the TV he was describing. I know it was like a really minor point about what he was talking about, but, you know, there, there was some new technology that came out every single year that made it better and easier to build a better help desk like a better TV But just like TVs, now the technology has advanced so much that the innovation is more in the design and the experience where Garish and the the Freshworks crew really focused on.
2: Yeah, you know, that that does make sense. But I also think there there really is a lot of innovation in the business model of going multi-product, kind of like we are here at ProfitWell. You know, just think about how we've seen consolidation and disruption over and over and over and over again with multi-product and single product over the years. Exactly. And, and what's fascinating here in particular, at, at least in my opinion,
1: is that multi-product is, is very very much the future we actually have data on this that i'll share after grish uh, gives us some background on why multiple products was important to freshworks's growth and their future and i would pay careful attention to what he says about the unified experience has it been more we're building internally uh, maybe someone externally like this or is it now like multi-product like an actual strategy meaning so so right
0: now multi-product is an actual strategy because what we have realized is we are selling to the same customer base effectively for most of our products and uh, a lot of smb customers or startups uh, actually like the fact that i can have a single customer record right so right from sales to marketing to support if i can actually have a single customer record where i can know everything i know that hey this is the person who came and and we did a deal with this person and they bought this product and now they are talking about me on social media they've raised 10 support tickets and we know which campaigns uh, they've opened so i think it's it's uh the integrated experience because sure. sales customer support and marketing it's one closed loop actually and uh, so we thought uh, why can't we build it as an integrated offering and sure. uh, that's one of the reasons uh, a lot of our customers actually like the fact that they can use two or three of our products together so it's still early days for the newer products, but that's the strategy to make sure that we are actually focusing on areas which are very close and adjacent to uh, what we have originally started out in support or uh, yeah. sales. And and in one aspect, if you think about it, it's like more like the iPhone or the Android phone. We all remember the TomTom Tom GPSs and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the e-book the readers. That an cost insane and, amount
1: of money back in the day. Yeah. And, and,
0: and the portable DVD players. And yeah. th- those uh, don't exist today as standalone products right so you don't need them because it's all integrated into the single experience so i think uh, we would like to think of it like the smartphone revolution happening in business software you have a solution that makes it more uh, relevant uh, to the business user so we're not going by the traditional definitions of how software should be cut versus uh, looking at uh, how can we add more value to our users to make their life better
1: I find that super fascinating, too, because it's an SMB product, right? Like, I mean, I know you have large companies on there as well, but it started off at least kind of focused on the smaller companies. And then very, I think relatively quickly, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you opened your next product, right? Like, And then now you have, gonna get this wrong, eight different products right? under, the, under the Freshworks brand. Like, what was kind of the decision, like as you were growing and as you were kind of scaling the help desk, what was the decision to launch the next product or... To kind of move forward with kind of this
0: multi-product strategy so so if you really understand uh, ours is a business model disruption Mm -hmm. the the opportunity that we have is a business model disruption where we are able to profitably cater to the long tail of the global smb which is not previously wasn't serviceable so once we realized that so the second product that we built was actually taking the same fresh desk code base we built an it service desk or an it help desk which we were able to go and address the it departments so it was customer support for the external world is fresh desk and customer support for the internal employees is it helpdesk so we were able to increase our addressable market and with relatively little engineering effort now that's how we became two products uh, and then when you think about the third product it was more born out of natural our own solving uh, our own needs right mm-hmm. so because we were using a very popular crm mm-hmm. and uh, so we see if you think about the evolution of crm and the evolution of selling so most CRM solutions, which started off in the year 2000 or so, are built as a platform because all the new technology came after that. Mm-hmm. So you you we are almost, today, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're almost uh, tuned into the habit of thinking, hey, I need a CRM and then I need to buy five different tools, like uh, let's say a marketing automation tool or a uh, email tracking tool or a campaigns tool. And, and I have to... Uh, integrate all of them together to get a full-blown system working. But uh, to me, like when we were trying to do this, it it almost became like a very complex project. So mm-hmm. we had the CRM and five different tools in order to give our salespeople all the insights that they need to work on the prospects. If you think about uh, photography, right? And if you look at the evolution of photography, uh, 10 years ago, we all had these point-and-shoot cameras, if you remember those things, yeah, and we had these SD cards, And uh, we're not talking about film photography. We're talking about uh, digital photography where you take pictures and then if I want to send you some pictures, I take the SD card out, I load it onto my laptop and then I download the files, I zip them, then I email them to you and then you actually download them, see it and then say, hey Girish, cool pics, right? It seems (laughs) such an old uh, uh, story now. Today, if you look at it, you you flip out your iPhone and uh, take a picture and then share it on uh, 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 Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever and then I give you a thumbs up. So, What's happening here? So technology, even in the previous uh, version of photography, we we're talking about technology like SD cards and laptops and point and shoot cameras. So, but the evolution of technology in the consumer world has made it possible to integrate everything into a seamless device. That's a smartphone where you're able to do all of this. So the same thing is happening in the business world also, right? That's what we, that's the approach we took to CRM. We asked ourselves, hey, why do we need to get five or six different tools and bundle it together. So why don't we start building our own uh, CRM, which is not only the traditional lead account management part of CRM, but also which integrates uh, event analytics from the web, from inside the in-app analytics, email campaign management, or uh, like lets me integrate my phone and email so that I can have everything integrated in one package, which helps my salesperson with all the context about the lead that they need and to be able to sell more effectively. So that's how Fresh Sales was born as more of an internal need or a use case uh, to help uh, solve our own uh, salespeople problem. But we have, uh, as a company, we always believe that whatever we build, we'll build it as a product and not as an internal tool, Uh so that we'll see uh, if we are able to kind of uh, give it to other folks. And if they are interested, we have a winner product. If they're not, we just kill it and go on.
2: Okay, I get why they built multiple products, because it's really more because they could, but I'm not really sure that I'm sold on the why here. You know, the iPhone experience really makes sense to me. I'm definitely an iPhone generation kid, but... People still do buy GPS products separate from their phone. They still buy nice cameras with SD cards right? so but, on and but so those,
1: forth. But those markets have changed, right? Like you're, you're a show producer, so you obviously need these fancy cameras. But I'm a plebe when it comes to cameras so my iPhone works because it's, it's just pictures of my dog that no one is ever really going to see. And, and remember – Grisha's going after the SMB market and targeting software that shouldn't be that complicated in the first place. And it really doesn't need to be bespoke. There there are definitely going to be these, you know, specialized fields and and specialized help desks, like a a help desk for hospitals or the help desk market. But that's not really what we're talking about here. And he even referenced, you know, an IT desk versus a regular help desk. But that's the long story short is, is these specialized markets is not what, he's targeting, if you will.
2: Okay. I think that, I think that does make sense, but it's, it's still hard to see exactly why this is really the best option. Well, it probably isn't for
1: all spaces. I mean, for most spaces, you're probably going to end up going multi-product if, if you want to be a large company, but there's also plenty of spaces where you can go extremely, extremely deep. I think the issue is, is that for, for most software that we're producing, uh, you know, just in the market in general, what we end up finding is that, that software isn't a nuclear fusion reactor. That software is a help desk, and so if we're going to go after a market like that, you do need to be multi-product. Unless you just want like a lifestyle business, if you want a large company, you're going to have to be that multi-product. But uh, we can we can actually go through that data
2: that, that I was mentioning <laughs> before. Wow, Patrick brought some data.
1: Yeah. Come on, give it to us, baby. Let's go. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to ignore every implication of that condescending laugh there. But uh, we looked at uh, just over 500 companies that grew from 1 million to 10 million, and then a group that went from 10 million to 100 million. Uh, The groups were split up by being single product and multi product. And regardless of the average revenue per user, the single product companies grew roughly 50% quicker than the multi product companies when going from 1 million to 10 million. Single product for the win, baby. Well, hold on. Here's the other shoe that's about to drop here. The multi-product companies grew at fifty percent to double the rate as single-product companies when going from ten to hundred million.
2: Okay, well, well, that makes sense. I guess you know, by by ten million, you've probably figured out enough of the complexity of building a company to scale multiple products to hundred million.
1: Right. A lot of this comes down to learning and, and gaining the DNA that's needed to handle multiple products, but. The other data that we've found is showing it's actually harder and harder to succeed without multiple products. The caveat being if if, if you want to be that large company.
2: Okay, so what goes into this... DNA. It can't be easy going multi-product. Well,
1: yeah, nothing worth doing is easy, or at least nothing that I can think of. But let's go back to Garish here, who can actually start going into how they approach this problem and pay careful attention to essentially his refutation of this whole, hey, you have to focus argument. And do you find going from the user side to like internally... How hard is it? Because I, I knew you guys have grown insanely, like quickly, right? I think you added five hundred people in the last year, yeah, something some like that. Yeah, that like from zero to a thousand in less than five years in terms of people, right? One hundred fifty thousand customers, like just insanely great numbers. How hard is it to have multiple products? Because other other companies that try to have multiple products, like even look at like HubSpot and, and some of these other, don't even have it. seven; they have two or three. It doesn't necessarily seem like it's it's difficult, but definitely like they're not moving at the pace that you guys are. Like, what is that like? Like, do you have specific, you know, each team is a product, is it cross team? Like, how, how do you kind of manage the chaos, I guess? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think,
0: uh, see, there are two or three aspects to consider here, right? Number one, and uh, I am not the person saying this, I think it was at a Google conference, I heard the Stripe CEO or the, uh, I think the Stripe CEO was yeah. saying this, or, I forgot if it was Stripe or Slack. Sure. So somebody asked him, uh, how important is it uh, for you to focus and and do like only one product and not do multiple? He said in the Valley, the focus is a function of um, expensive develop- developer resources.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, and uh, also the business model of actually uh, hiring more salespeople and, and going and selling out. Uh, sure. uh, when the territories are shrinking and you're going up market and, and using more and more salespeople to sell, like the focus uh, on one product is a good thing but eventually in the valley what happens is if you look at companies all the big companies whether it's microsoft or salesforce or uh, apple for all the famous talk about focus now they have multiple products it's just a function of at what point of time in your journey are you ready for the uh, multi-product journey right there is no leader in software uh, in the world who is not a multi-product company. Can you name, uh, like, if you look at all the companies, whether it's talking about Oracle or Intuit or uh, any, all of them are multi-product companies. So we chose to play to our strength, right? So for us, when we started out in the early years uh, in India, like uh, for us, the the developer resources weren't the same. Uh, It was not as scarce Mm -hmm. as it was in the Valley. So we were able to kind of uh, run multiple experiments quickly for a much lower cost. In, in one sense, I, I used to joke inside the company that I'm like the VC and you're all like startups, right? So we'll it's try probably, multiple yeah. things. And uh, if it picks up, we'll back you up with more resources. If that's it doesn't, cool. uh, fold and pivot and do something else. Yeah.
1: No, that's so, cool. I mean, that's kind of how HubSpot, that's the story with the sales product they built. Right. They wrote a check, you know, for that leader to take on sales and then, you know, they spun up the product and eventually kind of brought it back in once it succeeded. But
0: to answer your question, everything comes with its own challenges, right? So, see, if you but you have to understand the business model challenge also. If we are, if in the US context, if you're going up market and you're really enterprise focused, Mm -hmm. then you can actually scale revenues easily with large enterprise deals by hiring only sales teams. But uh, in our business model where we actually dominate the the small and medium-sized uh, companies, the SMB and the mid-market is yeah. where our uh, most of our success comes from. Sure. So so in that space, so we need to make sure that in order to ramp up revenues quickly, we use multi-product as an advantage. Yeah. We also know the downsides of this, right? So because we know that bandwidth could be stretched in the leadership bandwidth and, and the management bandwidth. So we have taken uh, a lot of effort into doing framework, so we are a framework company at heart mm-hmm. so which means whatever we build uh like we actually build thinking that how can it be used across multiple products so we today have a marketplace for desk. the same marketplace can be rolled out to fresh service or fresh sales uh, it's already yeah. being rolled out right or if you think about even something like a custom forms it's built as yeah. a platform and not as a feature inside the product so no
1: like siloed code yeah. like everything is like able to be used everywhere
0: Yeah. So basically we look at chat or uh, the phone channel that we built. All of this is reused across products. So that's what allows us to move quickly. This makes total
2: sense. You know, you always need to play to your strengths. And Patrick, it's honestly amazing to me how few people know their strengths, though, or the strengths of their companies, rather. Agreed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know your strengths, right? I mean, likely because you don't want to admit to having weaknesses or wanting to optimize all your weaknesses. I mean, that's something we talk about a lot is that you don't want to optimize your weakness. You want to basically control around for it and, and really kind of go head first into your strengths. You know, even though those weaknesses are are probably the opposing ends of those strengths.
2: Right. And I think that a lot of companies don't realize that their environment or the constraints are actually strengths.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're we're a fully customer funded company, so we've had resource constraints in a market that I believe required resource constraints. And as a result, we were very thoughtful about what we built and and when we built it and how we built it because we can always be more thoughtful but it it's it's helped a lot in hindsight to have these particular strengths.
2: Yeah, agreed and I would say we're almost too efficient sometimes and I don't think it's a constraint but the location garish and Freshworks actually played to their strengths quite well and it's not because of cost although engineers in Chennai do cost a lot less than the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, and the the better thing is that they're they're often just as good, if not better. Um, The engineering talent there basically grew up, quote unquote, through multiple generations of working in dev services farms, essentially. And then now there's enough, you know, kind of uh, tailwind behind that experience where, you know, people are jumping in and building their own companies in an environment where costs are pretty low, which is which is really, really a strength. But let's listen in to how Garish looks at Chennai specifically as part of their DNA that's shaped the culture of who works at Freshworks. And pay careful attention to his take on this whole mercenary missionary dichotomy. Do you think that being in Chennai specifically, because the dev talent here is really good, but it's definitely not the same price as in the valley? Like, do you think that's been a big advantage for for you guys, or is it not something that you necessarily thought about? No, right? I
0: think uh, see every location comes with its own advantages and disadvantages. Sure. I, I'm super happy that uh, what we've been we've been able to accomplish what we accomplished from Chennai, sure. but that's not to take away anything from say Bangalore or the Valley. You just need to know how to make it work. So there are diff- you obviously have to have different strategies. Uh, based on the location, based on our ability to attract talent. The location and the availability of talent is one thing, our ability to attract the best talent is another. So how do we make it work with this balance in mind? So in fact, uh, in Chennai, we have uh, folks who have moved from Google and Mountain View uh, or uh, from people from Boston. Whenever they are moving to Chennai, so we are the top startup of choice cool. for those uh, people and, and that's helped us. Yeah. Now, now I could be in Chennai, but not have that kind of advantage. Then I would be really struggling to attract talent. Sure. And I, I could be in Bangalore or Valley, but if I don't have the credibility or the brand to attract good talent, then I'm even uh, see where some sometimes in the Valley you may have like mediocre talent who's over hyped. Also, there are good sure. people, and there are a lot of people. Somebody said this recently: there are a lot of people who think they are good. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and the problem is. Uh, the bad, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's cool. And what do you, what do you think like, on the topic of Chennai, like what makes Chennai unique? Like whether it's the actual, you know, city or the tech talent here versus, you know, other folks out there, like, because you've obviously experienced tons of different ecosystems at this point. Like, why did you just stay in Chennai, I guess?
0: Yeah, no, I think, um, see, and this is where I'm from. So that's sure. the reason I'm here. But uh, what I like about uh, Chennai is I think it's possible to build a company with a long-term vision so people here
2: uh,
0: are not always looking to move on to the next big thing or so they, they like to believe in the vision of the company and uh, if, if that is aligned yeah, they are willing to put down their heads yeah. uh, and and work so it's not carried away by uh, the next big uh, fad so we are not uh, like mercenaries who are sure. on a, a four-year mission or a two-year mission so I think that's what I've always, uh, seen and liked at Chennai.
2: Oh,
1: I miss Chennai. Yeah, that was a good trip. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I think, uh, you know, been to India before, but the, the kind of the Southern city, especially the Southern food, uh, very, very spicy. And, and shout out to the charge of being Freshworks Cruise and we miss you. And, we also missed some meter coffee. Um, that coffee was really good.
2: Coffee was so good, but you know the way that they dumped it from the top part into the, yeah. into the bottom <laughs> was really cool. <laughs> it was eloquent no the way I put exactly that. I one understood exactly what you said. It was but just I got so cool. So that's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, but coffee aside, there is something that I'm still struggling with. Just one thing. Just one thing. Okay. Only one. Thing. Always right, only good. one thing. I'm over the focus argument, but isn't all this product and all this distribution incredibly difficult? Just from what from you know a team perspective absolutely i mean of course it
1: is but to be frank it's incredibly difficult for even like our size right of of 60 people and it's it doesn't really i guess what i'm trying to say is that it's going to be difficult anywhere so you just have to take that difficulty straight on what i've learned and, and what we're trying to do better with um at ProfitWell is this this really comes down to alignment right Because it doesn't matter if you're 10 people, if you're 50 people, if you're 5,000 people, if you're 50,000 people, that alignment is is really what's going to kind of take you to the next level. And Grish is probably the best person to chat through this because he's handling team members in six different countries and, and thousands of team members. And I would pay careful attention to what he mentions about not wanting to, but needing to say things over and over and over again. Like when you think of not quite managing a team across all those different areas, like what are what are the big challenges that you've seen, like managing a team of a thousand now across all those different countries that like a lot of people don't think about?
0: No, I think uh, it, it's really challenging to manage remote teams. I think every uh, startup founder who has done this will actually uh, go through this journey. We also had our share of challenges of uh, managing a remote team and managing large workforce. But I think uh, it's important to get everybody aligned on the common core. So a lot of times uh, what we realized was everybody thinks that they are bringing in their experience to in the best interest of the company. But if you and I aren't aligned on where we want to go forward, right? So for example, if I say we need to focus on uh, mid-market and, and SMB, and if you think you come from a large enterprise uh, company, and if you want to say, hey, let's go and do the million dollar deals with large enterprise. So if you're not aligned, then all the motions that we go through in our work life is going to keep challenging and creating friction and frustration. Then I think for us, the biggest learning was how quickly can we integrate and align our leadership to clearly understand, not at a very high level, but at a a deep level on why are we winning? What are our strengths? Uh, What is our vision? Where do we want to go? And make sure that uh, the the cultural uh, values of the company are also uh, taken in so we have an operating model, right? Yeah. So we basically, we know that this is what will fly inside Freshworks, this won't fly, yeah. and everybody needs to know that, and and that's getting that alignment was really the challenge, and I think we, I'm happy that we've made a lot of progress and improvement in that.
1: How do you get the alignment? I'm sure it's a lot of things, but like, yeah. take me like one step down, like how do you go okay. about
0: that? So I'll tell you, the, the one of the uh, things that as a CEO, uh, as a person, I definitely don't like to do the same thing again and again. Yeah. But as a CEO, if you want alignment, I have to have the same conversation again and again, multiple times with multiple stakeholders. I'm just sure. giving you one uh, yeah. example of how it is done, right? So it's not enough if you just say it once in in one place and hope. you cannot hope that everybody will get bought in. So this is a fundamentally a personal learning and challenge for me because usually i don't like even repeating the same presentation again sure. i i get bored so i improvise so like how telling the Freshworks story i would have probably told a thousand times now but yeah. uh, uh but i i don't like to do the same thing again the yeah. cultural alignment uh, and the alignment with goals is something which i realized was so important that it didn't matter what i liked or didn't like so i have to do it again and again so i made sure everybody in the company knows this and doing it in batches of thirty or fifty people, going through the new hires, going through the existing ones.
2: So we've done a lot of
0: work there. And uh, when you have people, when you're a fast-growing company or adding a lot of people quickly, right? And I, and a lot of things I'm saying may have an Indian context to it, right? So see, people see when you don't know each other, when you don't have the rapport, like it's it's very hard. And I think it's not just India; it's global also. Like, because I read this book, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah, Patrick which, Yeah, which yeah, exactly yeah. talks about the same thing, right? So when you don't know each other, there is an element of doubt in your mind. So mm-hmm. thinking always, is this person completely trustworthy? Why are they saying what they're saying? And also, to combine that people have an articulation problem, right? So you may not really hear the real concern. So surfacing the real conflict, finding a solution together collaboratively, So those are the simple problems that need to be fixed. So when when somebody disagrees with you, we used to think, hey, uh, we are fighting, right? So like uh, he doesn't get it. And I have been here five years. I know what it is. Uh, He's just come in new and he's trying to say this. But what we've realized as a culture is now trying to understand, hey, this is a smart person whom we hired, we all interviewed. We hired this person because they are smart. And now they're bringing a disagreement, right? Let's peel the onion, right? Let's understand where this disagreement is coming from, like maybe they have a point. So we treat it as a learning opportunity to really understand, is there some uh, genuine uh, thing that's bothering them? Once we uncover that, and we have been surprised so many times that if we put the effort to actually treat this this disagreement as a learning opportunity, we were actually able to really solve the right problems quickly. Otherwise, there was a lot of cycles wasted in terms of going all around the place, not knowing where the problem is.
2: So building a company is always going to have its barriers and its difficulties. But in the current market that we're in, the way you handle these difficulties is by working on your team, the people. Agreed. And and the market may demand just because it's
1: the market. It may demand multiple products to be successful moving forward if you want to be that large company. But the only way you're going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity is if you're hyper focused on making sure your team is aligned to where you currently are and where you're going to be going. It's incredibly difficult. Of course it is. But as we've said, all things worth doing are going to be difficult.
2: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.